I really love books. I love reading books. Uh, I write a little bit, but whoever invented books, pretty impressive person, right? Really novel idea. But I never, although I write uh, a, a little bit, and I'm writing a new book right now, I never write poetry. I leave that, I leave that to the prose. Uh, my grandson, Charlie, brought me an alphabet book. And I love it when the kids bring a book because they want you to read them a book. So we're going through it. A is for ape or whatever it was. And we get to P. I promise you this. It was P is for pterodactyl. I don't understand. I don't understand. We're starting a new series from a book. And it's actually an awesome book. It's the book of Acts. It's a great book. And when I'm reading the book of Acts, it's like reading a book about anti-gravity. You can't put it down. It's a book that is a bridge. It's a bridge. Without the book of Acts, we, we would be missing so much. You would go from the gospels to the epistles and you wouldn't know who's writing to, to whom and and where, and, and what happened, in the, and how did the gospel get to all of these places like Philippi, and Corinth, and Colossae? Well, Acts tells us all of that, and it's like a funnel. The gospels all funnel into the book of Acts, and Acts is kind of like the, the container, and the gospels all funnel into Acts, and, and I'll illustrate that with you a little bit later, but I'm calling this message and I'm calling this new series to the ends of the earth. To the ends of the earth. And it's basically about the, the way that the apostles would bring the gospel to the ends of the earth. It, it's, it's an amazing story of, of faith in action. And, and remember, a lot of these guys that were the disciples only had about three years of training, and, and a lot of them really were messing up. They were afraid. They were frightened. They were running away. But then suddenly they are transformed into some of the most mighty men of courage and valor that the world has ever seen. What made the change in their lives? As we are going to see in the book of Acts, they gave their lives literally for Jesus Christ. It was the resurrection of Jesus. And so we're going to be seeing this. We're, we're going to be talking about how the gospel went to the ends of the earth and how we're, we're responsible to continue to bring the gospel to the ends of the earth. And I love exploring. I don't know about you, but do you like exploring? Do you like going places and traveling I really do. I like going to the ends of the earth. But I love more sharing the gospel with people at the ends of the earth. And so that's really what Acts is. And I would say verse 8 of chapter 1 of Acts would be the theme verse of the book. What we're going to do today is set out on this adventure to the ends of the earth. And we're going to try to establish some things that I hope you'll remember throughout the series. 
And the, the first thing is the theme of the book of Acts. And look at Acts 1, 8. It says in the second part of that verse, ye shall be witnesses unto me. Who is speaking? This is Jesus. He's speaking to the, to the disciples after his resurrection. And he says, you are going to be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Now we all know Jerusalem. It's a city. It's a much larger city today. But back in the day, it was rather small, not teeny, but not huge. But from Jerusalem, the gospel would go to Judea. And that is what I would consider maybe the uh, uh, the state of Illinois to Chicago or maybe the Midwest to Chicago. And then it says to Samaria, Samaria was a region just north of Judea. And Samaria is where Jesus met the woman at the well. There was the story of the Good Samaritan. It was a, a group of people that were not 100% Jewish, but they did have some Jewish tradition and Jewish blood. But they were maligned. They were looked down upon. They had a different place of worship, you know. And, and Jesus loved them and brought the gospel to them. And Jesus wants us to bring the gospel to people that we don't necessarily enjoy being with or, or love. But we need to love them because Jesus did. And then the uttermost parts of the earth, I mean, that includes everything else. So we have this, these concentric circles. Like if you ever take a rock and throw it into a pond, a still pond, you're going to have that initial splash in that circle. That's Jerusalem. The next circle is Judea. The next circle is Samaria. The pond is the uttermost parts of the earth. That circle eventually will reach the edges of that pond. And that's what we are to be doing. You say, well, they already did that. The disciples brought the gospel and they did. The disciples literally brought the gospel to the ends of the earth at that time. But they're not here now, and we are. Jesus is coming back. He promises that. We're going to see that here. But until he does, we now have the yoke responsibility that they once had. Here's what I want you to get out of this series to the ends of the earth. Lord, may I have the same zeal, enthusiasm, and passion as they did in the book of Acts. That's what I want you to catch as we go through this series is they were so stoked about Jesus Christ and what he did for them in their life. They had seen his death. They had seen his resurrection. It changed them. And I hope that you will allow Jesus Christ to change you and to make you into someone that you would be surprised you know, a few years, a few years back that, that you've turned into a person that actually maybe you were shy. Maybe you were nervous about talking to people and, and you're just so in love with Jesus and so excited about him. You just can't help but to share that with people. That's where I want you to get if you're not there. And if you are there, I want you to continue in that zeal and, and that enthusiasm to bring the gospel, to be a witness, not just to Lake Zurich, not just to the Chicago area, not just to Illinois, not just to the Midwest, not just to the United States, but everywhere. Some have called the book of Acts the fifth gospel. And I think it's an accurate description because it literally is a continuation of the gospels, but in particular, the gospel of Luke. Why? Because who is the author 
of the book of Acts. It is none other than a Gentile, one of the few Gentiles that we read about uh, writing scripture, but he is a physician. We call him Dr. Luke. He is the writer. And so this, I would consider Acts a continuation of the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke. One man some years ago by the name of Sir William Ramsey, he made an interesting statement about this book, the book of Acts. He, uh, if you don't know who he was, he was a Scottish chemist. He won the Nobel Prize in chemistry in 1904. He discovered or wrote about the inert gaseous material and air. You know, pretty cool stuff we didn't know about. He discovered that. He's a Scottish man. So for sure, if he's winning a Nobel Prize in chemistry, he's a smart man. So what he did was he did a critical study of Luke's writings, and he declared this. He said that Luke is the greatest historian, ancient or modern. That's saying a lot, isn't it, about Dr. Luke. So the book of Acts is a bridge. It is a bridge from the Gospels to the Epistles. If we didn't have the book of Acts, we would have a big void, a crevasse in our Bible. So all the Gospels funnel into Acts, and and let me illustrate that. The book of Matthew, if you read Matthew and you look at the very end of the book, the Gospel of Matthew, as we recently did in one of our previous studies, the story of Jesus, we found out that Matthew ends his gospel with the resurrection. If you were to read the book of Mark, you're going you're to find out at the end of Mark, he ends his gospel with the ascension. If you were to read the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke, you're going to see that he ends his gospel with the promise of the Holy Spirit. And if you read the book of John, the gospel of John, you're going to find at the end of his gospel, he ends with the promise of Jesus' return. Now, with those four things in mind, the resurrection, the ascension, the promise of the Holy Spirit, and the promise of the return of Christ, and we start reading Acts, guess what we find in the first few verses? Look at Acts 1-3. It says, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs. We're going to come back to that. Being seen of them 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. There it is. Matthew ends with the resurrection. Luke starts with the resurrection. What about the ascension as Mark ended with? Well, look at a few verses down in Acts 1.9. It says, and when he had spoken these things while they beheld, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. What is that? Well, that's the ascension. Jesus... After his resurrection, after his appearances for 40 days, he's on the Mount of Olives and he ascends up into heaven. So again, Acts just picks up right where Matthew and Mark ended. And then Luke, again, he ends with the promise of the Holy Spirit. So where do we find that? Look at Acts 1, 4 and 5. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait... Wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with, what? The Holy Ghost. 
not many days hence. So there it is. Again, Acts picks up where Luke ended. Of course, Luke is the, the penman for the book of Acts. And then we read at the end of John, the promise of the return of Christ. Where do we find that? In the first few verses, the first few sentences of Acts, we find it in verse 11 of Acts 1, which also said, ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, so shall come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. There it is. All the gospel endings are picked up at the very beginning of the book of Acts. Do you see how it's so important to the story, the continuation? And and you know what? The book of Acts, you're going to notice it ends kind of strangely. When we get to that some years from now, we're going to notice that the book ends rather abruptly. It just seems like an unnatural ending. With Paul now in a house in Rome, we know eventually he died a martyr's death in Rome. But we're not sure. Maybe he, he, was, he wanted to bring the gospel further, and maybe into Spain, and, and we think he actually did that. But, but the book ends rather abruptly, and some people think it's because the story continues. It's not the end. The end of the book of Acts is the end of the recording of the early church, but it continues on to today. We are still uh, writing the story of Jesus working through the Spirit in his church and his people. So I feel like, and I felt a few times in my life, that I was almost living in Acts. One time in particular, we were on a, a missions trip. I was with Dr. Carl Ball. And he had uh, brought the first Baptist missionary to the island nation, uh, islands of Fiji. And so he said, uh, hey, Jim, would you like to go to Fiji? I said, yeah. Uh, but when you're going on a mission trip, you know, often when you go to these beautiful tropical places, they have these amazing resorts and right on the water. But once you leave the resort, you're finding out life is tough. Life is tough. And in all of these same places that seem like paradise and we would all just, oh, I'd love to live there. Yeah, but it's not as it seems, right? Although it's beautiful and it's amazing and we, we were able to see some incredible things. Uh, the people were hurting. And, and the, one of the projects was to bring these Bibles to an island. So we, we brought, it was like a motorboat with a, a guy doing the motor. We had a bunch of boxes of Bibles. We, we get up to the shore, but the boat wouldn't get all the way up to the beach. So we rolled up our pants, took off our shoes, and we carried Bibles ashore. I'm like, am I in the Bible? Is this the book of Acts? What's happening here? And then they, they were so excited. They got Bibles and they said, okay, uh, these are for all the kids in the school. We're going to give them all to the, to the children. But we don't want you just to hand them a Bible. We want you to ha- we want to have an assembly and we want you to tell the kids what the Bible's all about. I mean, can you imagine that? And I'm sitting there thinking, Lord, am I, am I back in Bible days? They won't really want us to share what the Bible's all about. And so we did. From school to school to school, not just on that one island, but on the main, main island. We went to a Hindu school. We went to a Catholic school. We went to the public schools. And we were able to have assemblies. The Muslim school actually allowed us to have an assembly for the Christian kids that were being sent to that Muslim school. 
But all the other kids that weren't allowed to go in the assembly because their parents weren't Christian, they were all around listening at the windows. It was just amazing to be able to share the truth of the Bible. And it just feels like you're going back in Bible times. And so here we have the book of Acts. It's a record of the birth of the ecclesia. What is the ecclesia? Well, that's a Greek word that we translate into the word church. What does ecclesia mean? It means called out assembly. Called out assembly. What does that mean? Well, it means that, that we've been called out of the world and we've been called unto Christ and we are his body and we are his hands and his feet and his mouth and we are to operate as a body and we are to, since he's gone, we are to do the, what he would be doing if he were here. Now, unfortunately, most churches are dysfunctional. They are worldly. They're carnal. They're not excited about Christ. They would be compared to the church of Laodicea and Revelation. But I praise God that this church is not that way. And I pray for all the churches in our world that they would not be that way. That we can get back to the book of Acts. That we can be the ecclesia, the church that God has called us to be. How do we know what the church was like then in its infancy as it was being birthed, as it was being established? We get the book of Acts. We get to read the book of Acts. And that's what we're going to do in this study to the ends of the earth. Now, I would like for you to keep this in mind. Maybe jot this down somewhere. Hold on to your notes on this. Because sometimes when, you, when you're going through a study of a book, especially as, as it's kind of drawn out with our studies sometimes with my schedule, it's, it's nice to somewhere remember the divisions of the book. So now you know the theme of the book is to bring the gospel to the uttermost parts of the earth. What are the divisions of the book of Acts? Well, this is an easy way for you to understand it. The first seven chapters, so chapter one through seven, is basically the record of the Lord Jesus at work through the Spirit, through the apostles in Jerusalem. So think about chapters 1 through 7 as Jerusalem. And then chapters 8 through 12, the gospel is expanding. It's the record of the Lord Jesus Christ at work by the Holy Spirit through the apostles in Judea, Samaria. So chapters 1 through 7, Jerusalem, chapters 8 through 12, Judea, Samaria. And then the remainder of the book is devoted to Jesus Christ's work through the Holy Spirit, through the apostles, unto the uttermost part of the earth. And that really gives you a glimpse into the missionary journeys of especially the apostle Paul. The one apostle, he called himself born out of due time. And we're going to see a little bit about uh, the, how Paul was, was prominent in this book as well. So the divisions of the book, I think, are important for us to keep in our, in our mind that the first seven chapters, Jerusalem, chapter 8 through 12, chapters 8 through 12, Judea, Samaria, and then uh, 13 through the end of the book is to the uttermost parts of the earth. Now, some have noticed some special features, eight special features of the book of Acts. And I'd like to go through those with you. They've noticed, number one, that the book of Acts has a, a prominence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And are you glad about that? 
Amen. Jesus Christ should be prominent in everything we do. And it's prominent in the book of Acts. The Lord Jesus left his disciples. He's gone. You say, well, if he's gone, how is he prominent? I'm glad you asked. Okay. But he's still at work. Jesus is still at work. His position is moved. He's bodily and physically. His location is not on the earth. His location right now, today, is at the right hand of the Father in heaven. Okay? But he's still at work. So it's, it's basically, think about it like this. He's moved his headquarters. His headquarters aren't here anymore. His headquarters are in heaven. But he's still working. He's still in charge. He's still guiding you and leading you. And he wants to do that. And that's why we need to stay so close to him. So you're going to notice that as a special feature of the book of Acts, that he is prominent, although he's gone, but he's still at work. So you say, how does he do that? Well, that's where the second person of the Trinity or the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit comes into play. We see number two, the special feature of the book of Acts is the the, uh, prominence of the Holy Spirit. Christ promised to send the Holy Spirit, and the promise is mentioned in the Gospel of John four times. The Holy Spirit's promise. He promised that in John one thirty three, John 7, 37 through 39, John 14, 16 through 17, John 20, 22. The same promise is given in Acts, Acts 1, 8. So you and I, we are living in the age of the Holy Spirit. You say, well, why doesn't it it feel as amazing as it would have felt then because they remember they were, they were healing people. They were speaking in uh, languages that they had never learned. Uh, all these things were happening and it just doesn't seem as, uh, as overt or as special today, but I'll promise you this. The Holy Spirit is still at work in amazing ways. How do I know? If you ever get a chance to go on a missions trip, take it because I experienced incredible things on that trip to Fiji and so many other times in my life. It it just seemed like God was at work and God was doing great and and mighty things through the spirit today. So we see the prominence of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts. And that still continues in this age because we're still in the church age. Number three, we find prominent in the book of Acts, the power of the church. There is a power in the church, and we know that that power comes through the working of the Holy Spirit. We are individuals. We are indwelt by the Holy Ghost. As soon as we believe that Jesus died and rose again for our sins, we put our trust in him. At that very second, the Bible says, the Holy Spirit indwells us. And now you have the power. Now you have the ability. And if we all have that in the church, then the church is going to have power, even today. Not quite as dramatic or as spectacular as as what they were able to do but folks you or we as a church we have power the power of Jesus Christ through the spirit of God and the fourth thing we see in the book of acts as a special feature is the prominence of the church not just the power of the church but that the church is prominent in this book the, the, the church is a brand new institution it was a mystery it wasn't even known about Now you say, well, was this always part of God's plan? It was. The reason is because God knew that the nation of Israel would reject Jesus. Was that a foregone conclusion? No. 
Jesus literally came and offered himself not only as the individual savior, but also as the national Messiah of Israel. They rejected him nationally. They will accept him nationally one day in the future, the Bible predicts. But instead of God saying, okay, I'm done with Israel, God says, okay, Israel, you were a a, a, a pan on the front burner of the stove. Now I'm moving you to the back. And now I understand that stoves, we might not have our gas stoves anymore. Is that something that's really happening in our world? The, the, the things that we're trying to solve that are, are, aren't a problem are amazing to me. I really like cooking on gas. Any of you really like cooking on gas? I just find I can control it so much better. But I guess we have to get rid of our, our gas stoves. Anyways, God takes the Israel off the front of the electric stove and puts them on the back of the stove. And we are now on the front of the stove. We're, we're the church, which we're not... Jew or Gentile, we're not male or female, we're not bond or free, we're all one in Christ. That's the church, the ecclesia. So it's something different, something new, something unknown, and it's for a time. The church began, it was literally born in the book of Acts, when the Holy Spirit came, the day of Pentecost, the church age ends when Jesus returns in the air for his bride. And... During that time, the church is powerful and the church is prominent. And that's a wonderful thing. We also, number five, find in the book of Acts a special feature, and that's the prominence of places. The book of Acts begins at Jerusalem and it ends at Rome. I've been privileged to go to both of those places. And people have checked all the the places Actually, uh, Sir William, um, what was the guy's name? Ramsey. Sir William Ramsey looked at all of the place names in the book of Acts and he found all of them to be accurate, which is pretty amazing. There's a lot of place name, places named in the book of Acts. Dr. Luke was an accurate historian, wasn't he? Of course, he had the inspiration of the Holy Spirit as well. Number six, we find the prominence of, of people, of persons. Now, how many people are mentioned in the book of Acts? This might surprise you. 110 people are mentioned by name in the book of Acts. And then also there's references to uh, multitudes and crowds. But 110 people have their name in the book of Acts. That's, that's a special feature, the prominence of all of these different people. And remember the church just started with a few people, just a handful of people. By the end of the first century, there were millions of believers in the world. The church that started in this book, and we're just seeing the infant church being born, grew into this incredible, phenomenal entity for the first two or three hundred years. It was incredible. Number seven, we're going to see the prominence of the resurrection. This was an important feature in the book of Acts, mentioned over and over and over. It was central to the gospel preaching, and that was central to the book of Acts. The gospel was being preached as people went, as they brought the gospel, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, uttermost parts of the earth, the gospel would go out. And you know what's central to the gospel? The resurrection. You need to talk about the resurrection. Why? Because without the resurrection, Jesus is not God. With the resurrection, he is God, okay? That's how important the resurrection is, and you're gonna find it prominent in the book of Acts, central to gospel preaching. 
What was the theme of Peter on the day of Pentecost? Remember, Peter had just denied the Lord three times. He was scared of a little uh, a servant girl, and he, he, he really failed. He messed up, and Jesus restored him. Not long after that, he's preaching the most amazing, powerful sermon in Jerusalem, knowing full well the people that had just killed Jesus are going to be now going after him. And he eventually gave his life as a martyr for Christ as well. But his sermon on the day of Pentecost was focused on what? The resurrection of Jesus Christ. He explained that what had taken place on that day, the crucifixion, was God in the flesh giving his life for our sins and rising again. Rising again. It was all because of the resurrection that this is true. So you're going to find the resurrection at the the heart of all the preaching of Peter's sermon, of Paul's sermons. The resurrection is prominent. And it really should be prominent in in our life as well. I don't know that there should be a day that goes by with we don't think about the fact that Jesus arose. And then number eight, the, the eighth special feature that someone noticed in the book of Acts is this. There is a prominence of Peter in the first section of the book, and of Paul in the last section of the book. And there's one interesting thing. We don't read about any other apostles. Interesting omission. I mean, God has his reasons. God knows what he's doing when he gives us this. But where you find Peter very prominent in the first part and Paul very prominent in the second part. So let's talk about the title of the book of Acts. You say, well, it's the book of Acts, right? Well, in my Bible, and I use the King James, and I use that because of the underlying text, the received text, it says the Acts of the Apostles. So it's not just Acts, it's the Acts of the Apostles. And and that's a decent title. That's not, uh, by the way, the, the, the book name isn't ordained. God doesn't say the name of this book shall be the uh, the Acts of the Apostles. That's just what we came up with. Somebody came up with that. And that's good, but it's, it's much, much more than the Acts of the Apostles, folks. Think about it. Somebody suggested a better title. It's a little wordy, a little long, but this is probably much more accurate. The Lord Jesus Christ at work by the Holy Spirit through the Apostles. Amen? Should we, should we write that in the title of our, of our Bible? That's really what we're talking about. It's the Acts of the Apostles, but it's, it's Jesus Christ through the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, that was in the apostles. And it's Jesus at work on this earth. Now let's look at the first two verses of Acts chapter one. The former treatise have I made unto thee, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. What was the former treatise? I think that is his gospel, the book of Luke. And he's writing this And he's saying, I'm writing of all that Jesus began both to do and teach. By the way, Theophilus' name means lover of God. Are you a lover of God? Do you love God? Do you love his ways? Do you love what he, what he has done for you? Do you love the fact that, that he knows what he's talking about and, and you trust him and you love him? I hope so. I hope so. But Luke's gospel was all that Jesus began both to do and teach. And the book of Acts 
is him continuing to tell that story of Jesus continuing to do and teach. Although Jesus isn't here, he's still doing and teaching. He's going to continue to do this until he takes his bride out of the word, out of the world. He is doing and teaching until this day. And then in verse two, it says unto the day in which he was taken up after that, he through the Holy Ghost had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen. And let me just speak to that word chosen. And uh, there's a, a series that, that you've probably been watching called The Chosen, and I've been watching it, and I've been enjoying it. You know, there are always some things that I'm nervous about with, with, uh, with productions, but uh, by and large, I do think it gives a pretty accurate description of what it would have been like. It does, definitely brings a humanity to the story. But what is The Chosen? Well, did Jesus choose the 12 to be saved? No, he, he, he chooses everyone to be saved. He wants all people to be saved. He, he said, whosoever will may come. He's not willing that any should perish. You say, well, I don't understand that. What's chosen mean? Well, it just means that he chose the 12 for service. He chose the 12 to do some things for him in a unique way. And he chooses to use you in a unique way too. Yeah, you're not gonna be an apostle, I'll promise you that. Why? Because the apostles were only for the beginning of the church. And if someone comes up to you, say, I'm apostle so-and-so, be polite. I might be tempted to say, no, you're not. But the apostles were to establish the church and there are no longer any apostles. We're not going to be apostles. We're not going to be disciples. But can God use you in a unique way? Does he have a special plan for you? Yes, absolutely he does. And so remember that. Jesus is continuing to do, to teach, and he has chosen you, not for salvation. That's a free to anyone that simply believes. But he has chosen you to serve. He chose Israel not to be saved. He chose Israel to serve. How did Israel do that? Well, they brought us the scriptures and they brought us the Messiah. Okay? They were set apart. They were chosen, but again, for service, not for salvation. Keep that in mind. So... Let's go back, and I know we've already read Acts 1-3, but let's go back through that. To whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs. Now, what is that? Those are his post-resurrection appearances. I think the Bible is full of infallible proofs. There's proof that there's a God. Look around, creation. There's, uh, there's historic proof. There's prophetic proof. There's archaeological proof. There's scientific proof that the Bible is true. But the greatest proof right here, the many infallible proofs, are the 10 post-resurrection appearances of Jesus. Okay, He showed himself alive, being seen of them 40 days. After the resurrection, he was around for 40 days, speaking the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Look at 2 Corinthians 5.16, where it says, Wherefore henceforth know we no man after the flesh, yea, Though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more. What does that mean? That means that you and I have not had the privilege of meeting him in person. Okay? And I I yearn for that and I want that and that will happen one day. But we have had the privilege of reading the completed scriptures. We know all about him. We know that he was predicted. We know that he came. We know what he did. We know what happened in the early church. So we have the advantage. We didn't know him personally, but we are still known of him and we know him through faith. And that's even greater. 
that you believe even though you haven't seen. That's a, there's a greater blessing there, folks. And I hope that you love him and I hope that you appreciate him even though you've never physically met him. But we do know he's coming back and that's, that's the Jesus we're gonna get to meet, the Jesus in glory, the glorified Christ. He is real, he is up there at this moment, the right hand of the Father. Somebody has said this when they studied the evidence of the resurrection. They said there is 10,000 times more evidence of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ than there is of Napoleon and the Battle of Waterloo. Isn't that amazing? If someone doesn't believe, it's not because there's not enough proof, there's not enough evidence. The problem is not Jesus, the problem is you. Okay, I'm just, I'm just telling you that. Many infallible proofs. There's a natural tendency to run away from God. That's what Adam did after he sinned. Don't do that. The problem is not with the word of God. He showed himself alive with many infallible proofs. And then Acts 1, 4, and 5, we'll reread those verses. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me, for John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. The apostles were told to wait. That is the one quality that I do not have. I am not a patient man. I'm trying to be, but I'm not. Pray for me. Waiting is hard. And that's what Jesus told them to do. Wait for the coming of the Holy Spirit. And then Jesus said that they're going to receive a, a new baptism. And the baptism is a very real baptism, and it's not a water baptism, which is more of a symbolic thing, a way to show your faith. But this baptism is a spiritual baptism, and it happens at the moment of salvation. When you believe that Jesus died and rose again for your sins, the Holy Spirit indwells you, baptizes you into what? The body of believers. And now you're part of this great ecclesia, this great church. And a church, by the way, isn't a building. It's nice to have a building. But they met in homes in the early church, often. And so the, 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 the church is you. It's not a place, it's you. It's, it's when we gather together. And when the Holy Spirit is here, you feel that the power of the Holy Spirit teaches you, it guides you, he helps you, it enables you, he, he, he empowers you. It's incredible what the Holy Spirit can do and wants to do in your life. And that we're gonna be studying in this incredible book here in Acts. They needed to be uh, they needed to have the Holy Spirit. Let me end with this story. Uh, it's uh, written from the perspective of Dr. Paul Brand, who was an orthopedic surgeon, who, who was pretty well known in the United States for his abilities. But he was recruited by a relative of mine, Dr. Ida Scudder, in India. So he went to India, and he was there to help with the leprosy beggars that, that were there. And he was able to help them in many, many ways, do a lot of research on leprosy or Hansen's disease. But he was speaking to the medical college that Ida started, and he was speaking on Matthew 5, 16, which is, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. And in the front of the lectern was a oil lamp. And as he was reading these verses, the oil ran out, and the lamp started to flicker, and it went out, and it started to smoke so bad that he began to cough, and he can hardly control his cough. So as he regained his composure... 
he immediately seized on this opportunity and said this. Some of us here are like this wick. We're trying to shine for the glory of God, but we stink. That's what happens when we use ourselves as the fuel for our witness rather than the Holy Spirit. Wicks can last indefinitely, burning bright and without irritating smoke if the fuel, the Holy Spirit, is in constant supply. So not only do we have the Holy Spirit within us, we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. How? By being in close fellowship with Jesus. Then your light will shine and you won't be stinking and smoking. You will be a light in a dark world. Do you know Jesus Christ? Have you received him by faith? The Bible says that we're sinners. We've disobeyed. We've rebelled. We've sinned. We've fallen short of the glory of God. Jesus came innocent, perfect. The son of God died for our sins and rose again. And if you'll trust in him, you'll be saved today, tomorrow, and forever. God so loved the world. He gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Will you receive him by faith today?